All right, I want to welcome uh, our internet audience. We're so pleased that you're part of what we do here. Uh, and we are studying the book of Colossians, and uh, it's an amazing little book. Uh, it only has a couple of chapters, but it's Paul writing to the church because of the errors that took place in the church. Uh, and it's an amazing study because you recognize that this is about 30 to 35 years after Jesus was crucified on the cross. And so heresy and error and problems took place, took hold in the early church. And so what I say to you, to folks who, who attend church and are unhappy with church, are unhappy with the extent of what church is like, and see error in church, I want you to recognize that even 30 years after Jesus died on the cross, that same spirit was infecting the early church. And so that gives me hope, you see. That gives me hope because Paul recognized that. And so he's written for us these letters that speak to our hearts. And so each of you needs to pray about this uh, and take this lesson into your heart as it relates e even to your own position in your own church. I understand that church has problems. I understand that. But this is how God has decreed that we worship him. Uh, and so we want to be in a position where we, we can correct church, where we can advance the kingdom of God, uh, and do what God wants with, within that framework. Um, and so before I start the new study this week on the second chapter of Colossians, I have <clears throat> a few comments to make on the, on the first chapter. And uh, First of all, if you can open your Bible to Colossians chapter 1, <clears throat> I, want to, I want you to focus your attention on verse 21. <clears throat> and here's Paul saying, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, blemish and free from accusation. So, what does this mean? It means that you need to have an understanding of what took place on the cross, and he is basically telling the Colossian church that, that this is what's taking place on the cross. Of course, first of all, you know that Jesus was the substitutionary sacrifice. Just as the Old Testament had animals that, that were sacrificed, Jesus became the substitutionary sacrifice. Meaning what? He died in your place. Perfect sinless in every possible way, yet he died on the cross as the sacrifice of sin before a holy, perfect God, that God demanded that, that God would have nothing to do with humanity because of our sinful nature unless that sacrifice had taken place. But Paul here is alluding to something even deeper. Um, and what he's uh, doing here is he's recognizing that not just a substitutionary sacrifice, but that there's a second word for understanding what Christ did on the cross, and that is propitiation, propitiation. Uh, and that's unlike substitution, which is different, uh, and it talks about that, that issue that he did on the cross in terms of its bearing upon God. The substitution was for you. The propitiation is as it relates to God. Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice 
because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Wow. He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Meaning, even as you walked in this world, even as humanity walked in this world, uh, and being full of sin and evil, God had not punished us. Uh, and, and what he did then on the cross, Jesus paid that debt. That's what propitiation is. God, in his forbearance, held off, and Jesus paid it. He propitiated uh, the, the judgment of God. That's also what took place on the cross. Uh, it's incredible, incredible gift that Christ gave us. Uh, and so it, it, what it means there is that it refers to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in which he justified the wrath of God against the sinner uh, and, and turned that wrath aside and enabled the love of God to go out and to save us. I mean, this is an important understanding. Um, and, and you see this even in the Ark of the Covenant and understanding what took place in the Ark of the Covenant. Because on the mercy seat, uh, which is where the sacrifice took place, but God looked down on the mercy seat and he saw the broken law underneath it, the commandments broken underneath it. And so clearly uh, what you see there is the two cherubim on either side of the mercy seat looking down on the mercy seat. And so what you see there is that in order to come into the presence of God, someone had to pay the debt. It's not just a substitution, a uh, sacrifice. It's more than that. It is the propitiation uh, of, of sin, paying the debt of God, paying off God uh, so that the wrath of God, the sovereignty of God, would not be rained down upon us. Um, and, and if you ever need any clarification of understanding the depth of this, spend uh, about a half an hour and read Leviticus 16. Because when you read Leviticus 16, you will see the directions that God gives to the high priest uh, as to what needed to be done on the Day of Atonement. And you will see sacrifice after sacrifice, ritual washing after ritual washing, uh, animal death after animal death, and all in order to go into the Holy of Holies at that day and make this sacrifice once and for all for all the sins of Israel. And yet that did not truly pay off God for our sin because uh, right after that, men continued to sin. But with Jesus, once you accept Jesus once and for all, that sacrifice of Jesus in his propitiation of the debt to God is paid off in full. So you walk out, understanding that you are looked at by God as holy because of what Jesus did. It's important to understand this. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. You're not holy, but God sees you holy because of the death of Jesus, uh, and it's so profound. And then there's a third thing that Jesus did on the cross, which Paul is alluding to here, and that is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Turn to Corinthians chapter 5. Corinthians 5, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as as though God were making his appeal through us. 
we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, what great words those are. You understand the spirit of reconciliation. That's what Jesus did for you. So it's not just... It's not just that sin that you had a substitutionary sacrifice. It's not just that propitiation took place, all right? But it's even more than that. It's that God now is reconciled to you. God has become your father. You are his children. Uh, and, and we have that personal relationship because of Jesus. That's the reconciliation. And I want to say something to you, to those of you who are suffering from broken relationships. Jesus fixes broken relationships. You understand? That's the spirit of reconciliation, all right? And so even if you're in, in the presence of someone who may have done you wrong, you have the ability through Jesus Christ to still say to that person, I love you. I have forgiven you. You don't say that as a human being. We don't say that as a human being, but as a child of God, washed with the blood of God, with the Holy Spirit inside of you, that's when you can say those kind of things. And it's that kind of language that, uh, that affects reconciliation, that people then are brought together because they sp see the spirit of Jesus in you. And that's what you need to do. And we, I mean, that's why what took place on the cross is just, uh, just astonishing what God has done. To think that God would go to this extent to have a relationship with measly us doesn't that, doesn't, that, doesn't that, you know, beggar your mind that God would do that? But that shows you the kind of God you have. And that's why when you hear people say ill things of God, that our God is not a good God, uh, that he's mean-spirited. Really, he's mean-spirited, huh? He's he, he, all he did was bankrupt heaven uh, to put his son uh, and God himself on a cross for you. That's mean-spirited? Really. You see, humanity doesn't even understand uh, love. It doesn't even understand love. Uh, and it's, it's so, um, so amazing to me. Uh, and I spoke about this yesterday, and I'll say it again today because it bears repeating. I did a, I did a wedding on Saturday on the beach uh, in Naples, uh, and, and I spoke about the love of God in a marriage, uh, understanding what love is about, and that's how marriages succeed and marriages fail. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your home, if Jesus is not a part of your life, then your marriages are frankly doomed, all right? It's basic chemistry, and chemistry wears out. You know, you look in the mirror. Take a look at what you look like now. I know when I get up and I look in the morning and I look in the mirror, I want to call the police because it looks like there's a stranger in my house. <laughs> Maybe that's only me. It's not you guys. Because you guys all look good. But, but you, you understand this. Time goes by. Gravity goes by. The erosion of time goes by. A once great, formerly great civilization has now vanished. All right? And it's in your face. All right? And yet, you, you know, and yet, you know, I hear people say, well, I don't have the same feelings toward my wife as I had before. Why? Because Jesus is not the centerpiece of your home. All right? And as I said in that message about love, and I said in that message of love, I want you to think of your marriage as a triangle. This is what you need to do as a triangle. And at the base of that triangle is the husband and the wife at each corner. And as each of us 
over our lifetimes are drawn closer to Christ who is at the top of the triangle. We climb the sides of the triangle and inextricably that climb brings us closer to each other. It's mathematically proven. It's Jesus. That's the love that Jesus gives you in a marriage and in life and in, as he does, did here in reconciliation. And, and so it's important for you to, to understand this. Uh, and as to what Paul is talking about here, to me, it's, it's just amazing. And so the reconciliation of Christ is, is one of the things that, that takes place here that Paul is speaking about to this church. Listen, Paul understood this church still had, had good intentions, but now, now it had started to go off track. There could be good churches that start good, and, but, but, but so quickly can evil uh, penetrate that and move it off track. And you need to be aware of it. Each and every one of you needs to be aware of this. And God is calling us uh, to responsibility. And I wanted to focus also, if you would, going back to Colossians chapter 1, uh, I wanted you to look at verse uh, 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is 30 years after, after Jesus has died. The gospel has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. How could that be possible? How could that be possible? Well, I'll tell you how that could be possible. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. And this is important for you to understand theologically as well. John chapter 1, verse 9. And I'm reading this now from an NIV translation. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The true light that gives, the true light, that gives light to every man was coming into the world. That's Jesus. The true light coming into the world is giving light to every man. In fact, the King James Version is the better translation on that, and that's the version that I learned uh, from my father's knee, and that says, that was Jesus. He was the true light which, which lighteth the heart of every man that cometh into the world. He is that light that lighteth the heart of every man that cometh into the world. What does this mean? What effectively is Paul telling the church? That Jesus is the light in the heart of every person coming into this world, even though they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know him. They don't know his name. Yet there is a light in their heart that inextricably draws them to God. All right? That's why Paul could say that the gospel was being preached. That's why he could say that. Um, uh, and and I, want you to, I want you to, as I drill down on this, I want you to turn uh, to Romans chapter 1. This is important. Even as you go out and speak to people, I want you to understand this. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We'll start with verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness 
and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Whoa. Whoa. If you don't remember anything else that you heard today, I hope this is emblazoned in your heart. Men are without excuse. God has written the gospel in the heavens, in the stars, in the moon, and in the sun. And I don't care where you are in the world as you look at the manifestation of the incredible work of God surrounding us, it is that work that preaches to God. Now, the creation is not God. We're not into this new age nonsense. But it is the creation that speaks of God. And here he's, I mean, this is so incredible. This, I mean, when you read this verse, for since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. It's all around you and it's clearly seen, being understood, understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. That's it. They're without excuse because it's all around them. God is speaking to them in the, in the nature of the creation. So here you have it. Jesus is the light that lighteth the heart of every man that cometh into the world. There's the mechanism. That's the part of the heart. The fact that there is a hole there that needs God. And so God plants that in you through Jesus Christ. And then he makes his work manifested or no, known right around you in terms of the works. And you see here, and anybody who has an understanding looks up there and comes to understand there's somebody bigger than I am. There is a sovereign power in this world bigger than I am. And as, that, as you do that, they recognize that that sovereign power is God, even if they don't even understand the name of God, even if they don't understand the name of Jesus. Uh, and so this becomes so clear. I want you to turn, uh, if you would, to Psalm, chapter, Psalm 8. This is important. This is important because obviously here he's demonstrating this to the, the, the first century church talking about how great the power of God is. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. How do you like that, folks? You are created just slightly lower than the angels. Slightly lower than the angels. That's what you're being told here, and this is written a thousand years before Christ. And so there you have, what is man? That the, your heavenly work speaks about what you have done for us uh, and saved us so profoundly. Look also at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 1. And here, this again clearly articulates it. Paul understood this. 
He knew what the prophecy uh, of God was uh, by David. I understood it. It's right here, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Underline that. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the others. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Isn't this amazing? Written a thousand years before, but again, underscoring the fact that it is the very creation, the very creation that speaks of the glory of God. And so what, what is so special about the creation? Well, what's so special about the creation is that God's glory is proclaimed through it. Uh, the testimony is constant. It never changes when you look in the sky. The revelation is nonverbal. Uh, the world is, it has a worldwide scope of its testimony. There is no language barrier, uh, and it is out there for all to see. That's what God has done to advance the gospel uh, of his kingdom. Out there for all to see. Out there for the world to understand. Uh, and so, uh, really, so incredibly profound. Um, and, and really, it, it speaks to our heart. Now, another thing here uh, in this, this, last, this first chapter that uh, Paul speaks about here, he speaks about, if you turn back to Colossians chapter 1, uh, in verse 27, he says to, he says to uh, actually, we'll start with verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of the ages. He's talking now to that church. In Christ, we are now being revealed the mystery of the ages. And so what does he mean by the mystery of the ages? Well, the first thing he he's, he's speaking about is that uh, clearly God has brought the Gentiles into the community of God. He has taken the Gentiles and implanted that branch onto the, on the vine of Jesus Christ. And so the Gentiles have the same uh, relationship now with God that God had first given to the chosen people, the Jewish people. He's brought the Gentiles in. That's the, the, the first mystery. The second mystery is that now Christ is abiding in us. You understand that? Christ is abiding in us. Once you've accepted Jesus Christ, God sealed you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And so each and every one of you here in this room who has given your heart to God, God has sealed you. 
and ordained you and filled you with the Holy Spirit. And now that is a mystery that the Old Testament church did not know. They did not know it. But now God has revealed it. He's revealed it to us uh, through the new covenant. And so this is, is so, uh, so profound. This was not revealed until the time of Jesus and the apostles. This is the Christian hope of glory. Christ is abiding in us. And so the, the ministry of Paul, and you see it here, magnificently was to bring people to maturity in Christ and not to dependence upon himself. Don't ever start going off and doing your own philosophy, your own thing, and developing your own theology. That's bad. There's no good of that. This is preordained by God. Christ died on the cross for this theology. All right, And this church, this first century church, was starting to deviate from it, as many churches are today, as, as churches become men-run church instead of God-run church. We don't want to be in a church run by a man. I want to be in a church run by God, by the Holy Spirit. I want people to bow, be bow before God. I'm not interested in what men think. I'm only interested in what God thinks. I'm interested in what Christ thinks. I want to be Christ's man in, day in and day out. And that's the role of the church. And if the church fails, fails, fails in that regard, then you know what? God will replace that church. All you have to do is read Revelation and you see, you see the seven churches and you see what it says there about candlesticks being removed. What do you think the candlestick is as it relates to a church? It's the Holy Spirit. And so what happens if a church decides to go off on its own and, and basically have a philosophy and ruminate on a philosophy and all of a sudden the church is no longer being run by God, but it's being run by men. And then you wonder, why are things not good? Have you asked yourself this question? Why are things not good? Because the church has lost its first love. All right? The church has lost its first love. Look, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to us today. All right? This is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, maybe it's coming through a guy's lips, but let me tell you something. This is God speaking to me, speaking to you. All right? This is an important message to understand. This is very serious. I don't care what the church is. I don't care what the denomination is. When these denominations start being run by men uh, in their own mental philosophy and intellectual thoughts, and what they think ought to be done, that's the, that's the beginning of the end. That's the beginning of the end. You need to pray, God, intervene, Lord, reveal your will, Father. Reveal your will, because this is not going to end well. And you wonder why church after church winds up being desolate, and nobody is being brought to salvation, and the work of God is not being advanced. Why do you think? Why do you think? Because God has left the building. God has left the building, all right? Uh, and so this is important for you to understand this, uh, that this is what God is saying here he said it to the first century church. He said it to the Colossian church. And he's speaking to my heart and your heart today about what this role is. This is a very, very heavy responsibility. God has to lead the church. Christ has to lead the church. 
Don't give me man-made ideas about how we lead the church and the choices that we make. We bow in submission and put our face in the dust and say, Father, lead me, direct me. In every aspect of our lives, you do that yourself. You do that yourself, you should do it for your church. You should do it for your church. Uh, and, and I talk this about the church universal. I'm not talking about any specific church. It's about the universal church of God. Uh, and so this becomes a very critical message uh, that God is, is speaking through our brother Paul. What a great, great, great leader. Here's a guy whose heart was so for Jesus and so for the work of the church that he could write like this, having never met these people. He never met the Colossian church. He just met the guy who started the church. And through that, God poured into his heart this incredible letter that speaks to us today about what our role is and how our churches should act. This is very poignant stuff, folks. This is very poignant stuff. I hope it touches your heart. And so now we start on Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. There it is. He hasn't met these people personally, but he's struggling for them. He's praying for them. His heart is breaking for them. That's the role of, of the apostle and the role of the godly men and women who are called by God to pray for others. I, my purpose, verse 2, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That's the mystery of God that was not fully revealed in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ, the once and forever substitutionary sacrifice. It wasn't, it, it wasn't revealed. It was alluded to many, many times, but not fully revealed. And so now we have had it revealed. And so as we've had it revealed, we have a responsibility and that's what he's saying. We have a responsibility. Uh, and his purpose is that we may be encouraged and united in love. Why? Because he understood that if you weren't encouraged and you weren't united in love, you were doomed to fail. You were doomed to fail. You cannot walk with God. You cannot be together in church. You cannot worship together unless you are united and encouraged in love united and encouraged in love. And frankly, I look at some people as they come out of church today, and boy, I don't see a lot of encouragement. I see a lot of sad looks, a lot of sad faces. Why? Because something's going wrong in the church. Because when we go there, if I read this message right, we're to be encouraged and lifted up and affirmed. Listen, I hope you guys can't wait to come here on Monday. I hope you can't wait to come here on Monday. Because that means that the Spirit of God is intact here. And your hearts are being lifted up and you're being encouraged because this is precisely what the work of God needs. It needs people like me to preach his word and for you to respond through the Holy Spirit. And be encouraged and lifted up and affirmed. That's what this is about. Look, this is not about a donut eating club. This is not about a club to set up our golf dates or our dinner dates, or our breakfast dates, that's all great. 
But I don't care if you never eat another donut again or never go out and golf again. You're coming here because God is speaking into your heart. He's lifting you up and he's encouraging you. Encouraging you to walk out in the world and change it. Walk back into your church and change it. Walk back into your family and change it. He wants you to be encouraged and unified in love. Just like that message I gave about marriage. Without love, we are zero. Without love, we are nothing. Uh, It is the greatest gift that God has given. It presides over all the other gifts. Love, love, love. The love of your heart to express to God for what he did for you through Jesus. The love of, of mankind to know that they are lost. The love to understand that God has called you to preach the gospel in your life. That through your family and through every possible way. This is what the responsibility is that God is teaching us here so profoundly, so profoundly, so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. There's only one way you'll know the full mysteries of God, is if you're in God, you're in Christ. That's how you get the full mysteries of God. That's how you understand what's all taking place by God through his gospel. Verse 3 in whom, and that's Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are revealed. You don't need any other books in your life. And I'm the last person in the world to say you shouldn't have a Christian library. I probably have a thousand books surrounding me and commentaries that I use. But I want you to understand something. They're all good, but they're not necessary because everything that you need is in Jesus Christ. The full understanding of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Why is he writing this? He's writing this because the Colossian church had now started to dabble in Gnosticism. And Gnosticism said that the real mysteries of God could only be revealed to a select few that only a select few as they studied uh, and drilled down could that select few understand the mysteries of God. False! False! I want you to understand something, that God can use the most simple people to deliver the most powerful sermon that you've ever heard. The most simple people. I told you my own life story. You're probably sick of hearing it. But that, 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 uh, that mentally handicapped young woman who spoke to me Uh, not realizing that I even heard it uh, in a darkened church when she said, oh, yes, I love Jesus. He's my personal Savior. That girl that spoke out to me, not recognizing what she was saying, that it was being overheard by a guy who had spent his life in church, not realizing that 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 person hadn't heard somebody like that saying it before. And all the sermons of a lifetime, all the messages of a lifetime paled in comparison to the message of that mentally handicapped girl who said it, and Jesus took those words and stabbed me in the heart. All right? You understand something? It's not for the wise, intellectually gifted. This gospel that we talk about has been revealed to the most simple people. You don't need to have a theology master's degree. All right? God speaks to us through through the gospel of Christ That's how important this is. And so this is not for a select view. It's for everyone, for everyone. You don't have to have a graduate degree to understand it. Uh, And God has made sure of that. He's given it to everyone. 
uh, and, and continuing on here, uh, in whom, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that's in Jesus Christ, uh, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. How do you like that? No one can deceive you by intellectual rhetoric because you're going to come across people that can really spin a story. You're going to come across people that sound really smart. And some may even sound gifted. And so you may be subject to being deceived. Uh, and, and, and so you need to be aware of this. Uh, and he's warning them, be careful. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. What's the litmus test, folks? What's the litmus test for you to use every time you hear someone who, who tells you that they're from God who tells you that they're giving the message of God, what's the litmus test? The litmus test is this. Are they affirming Jesus Christ? That's the litmus test. It's that simple. And so if you hear somebody speak and talk, and it sounds really good, but at the end of the day, you never heard Jesus' name mentioned. Oh, man, you understand how that can be. These guys are coaches. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to make you feel good about yourself. All right? You can have great things. I see it all over television. You know, God wants you to be rich. Uh, God wants you to have a bigger house. God wants you to have a bigger car. And you never hear Jesus mentioned at all. Because Jesus never said that. Jesus never said he wanted you to have a bigger house or a bigger car. I know. I know. You're saying, Jesus, they, they didn't invent cars. Well, a bigger chariot. How's that? You understand? The point was Jesus didn't care about what you thought you needed. He cared about what you really needed, all right? And that was salvation, all right? That was the message of Jesus Christ. And so it becomes important for you to understand what, what God is speaking to us here and how easy it is, how easy for churches to go off in the wrong way and us to go down with it. Verse 6, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you day two. Paul spoke to me about that. No, he didn't. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that even though you don't hear the articulation of day two, the writing is crystal clear. Because here it is, people who come to faith in God, come to faith in Christ, uh, and then he said, even as just as you received Christ, continue to live in him. Continue to live in him. You're saved. God saved you. He's planted you with the Holy Spirit. Now what? Now continue to walk, to live in him, uh, rooted and built up in him. Strength meaning rooted. Why? Why? Because you're going to be buffeted. You're going to have bad days. There are going to be evil things that come about you. You're going to get sick. Your family's going to be sick. You're going to have broken relationships. Be rooted so that when these things buffet you, you just don't fall down. You don't collapse. But instead, because you've walked with Christ, you've carried the cross of Christ, you've been rooted and planted in Jesus Christ. And so now through Christ, you can withstand these vicissitudes. It's not going to end your relationship with God. This is important to understand this. 
uh, strengthened in the faith. That's right, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. As you were taught. That's what Bible teaching is about. It's about watering that root system. It's about feeding that root system. It's about strengthening that fruit system so that you walk and are strengthened in your walk with Christ Jesus. In the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Are you overflowing with thankfulness? Are you overflowing with thankfulness? Or are you saying, well, it's hard this early in the morning. It's hard. No, it shouldn't be. You should get out of bed in the morning and you should be overflowing with thankfulness at what God has given you. All the gifts and blessings he's poured into your life. It's from him. What, you thought you earned it? You thought you were smart? And now this is the result of what you're reaping now after a lifetime of being smart? Well, you're smart. Really, really. Honestly, you think you're righteous and good. None of us are righteous. None of us are good other than Jesus died on the cross for us. So everything we are, everything we have is from him. And so as we understand it's from him, we have to be overshadowed with a spirit of thankfulness and exhibit that thankfulness in our life and in our walk so that people in the world go, whoa, look at that guy. Look at that woman. How could she be like that? How could they be thankful? And in fact, they're in a hospital bed. You know, I spoke out at the funeral of Bob Beyer, uh, who's a godly man. In the last two or three years of his life were not good years. He was basically chained to a bed. He had to undergo kidney dialysis several times a week. And you know what he said to me? He was a prisoner, prison chaplain for many, many years. And you know what he said to me about how he viewed kidney dialysis? He said, this is a blessing from God because now I can speak to a captive audience about Jesus. Speak to a captive audience about Jesus. That's right, in the clinic where they're all strapped in getting dialysis. He recognized that God was going to use this for the advancement of the kingdom of, of God, and he was thankful. Now, let me tell you something. When you come across people like that, if you're not humbled, then there's something wrong with you. This guy preached to me in a way that no sermon ever preached to me because it was his life preaching to me. All right, And that's what God has called you to do, to have that spirit of thankfulness permeating every aspect of your life so that the world can see it, that even on the dark days, you're still thankful. That's what he's saying. He understood in this church, if this church was going to prosper, it needed to be a thankful church, a thankful church where people just reveled in the glory of God and the blessings of the kingdom of God and recognized what God had done for them. Oh, Lord, let us be mindful of everything that you've done for us. Let us be everlastingly thankful as we walk in this world. Let it be so, in verse 8. See to it then that no one takes you captive. No one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Don't get tied up in the worldwide philosophies. The worldwide philosophies are not going to save you. All right? Uh, Greek thinking and ethics is not going to save you. Uh, and, and, and having positive thinking, you can be positive all day long, but if, the, if Jesus isn't part of your life, the one thing you can be positive about is you're not going to heaven. You can be positive about that. You're not going to heaven. So don't talk to me about positive thinking. 
all right? It's meaningless. The only true meaning of life is having your life totally given into Jesus Christ, surrounding you in every way, all the mysteries of God coming through, through Jesus Christ, permeating your life, infusing your life, that the joy of Jesus comes out of your life, that even on dark days you take God and you praise him and you thank him for all that he has done, for all that he has given you. You are a walking poster child for the kingdom of God. Don't ever forget it. They're out there looking at you. They know who you are. They know that you go to Bible study. They know that you go to church. They see you. They see you leave early in the morning and you don't come back until noon. They knew you weren't out having pancakes. All right? They want to look and see something different about you. And remember that. Be mindful of that. And ask Christ to motivate you and give you the happiness and give you an understanding of what it's all about. We, we are called to be his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10, we are called to be his workmanship with which he has before ordained. He called you for that very purpose. That's the nature of why you are created, to be his hands and his feet, to exhibit enthusiasm and happiness and love and infect a world that is absent from love and is lost and is an open and despairing. God has called you, God. Ask God to give you the strength to be everything that he called you to be. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us today. Lord, they have resonated in our heart as we understand what our call is and the danger in our churches, Father. Help us to arise and fend off these dangers in our churches, to be the men of God you want us to be, to bow uh, before you and put our face in the dust, Lord, in every possible way as we submit our lives totally to you. Bless our men. Be with them this week and continue to resonate this message in their heart. Bring them back safely next week as we continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.